Welcome to the I Don't Think So podcast with your host, Melanie Mitchell Epp, a successful author, speaker, mentor, and coach. Melanie is an expert in helping people leave behind the why me mentality to take control of their life. Not only is her story of victory inspiring, but she knows how to empower others to find victory in their own lives. Now, here is your host, author of I Don't Think So, and the creator of the I Don't Think So Bootcamp, Melanie Mitchell Epp. Welcome to the I Don't Think So podcast, episode four. My name is Melanie Mitchell Epp. I'm your host, and I'm talking to you today on the topic of pain is a signal from chapter seven of my book, I Don't Think So. Now, pain is a signal. Doesn't that sound like kind of an obvious statement? Do do we really need to talk about it? Can't you tell when you stub your toe? Can't you tell when you get a paper cut on your hand? You would think so. I know I certainly react with, with a yelp or a quick response when I encounter that kind of pain. I remember one time when I was five years old and I was baking with my grandma and I was sitting on the counter beside the stove and that might seem a strange place for a five-year-old to be except I have a five-year-old grandson right now and a two and a half-year-old granddaughter and I'm well aware of how much they want to be a part of whatever is happening in the kitchen and I can see easily how it happened that I was sitting on the cover. And I remember my grandma saying to me as we were mixing some sort of batter for something she was baking, don't touch the burner, it's hot. And of course, as any five-year-old does, we nod agreeably and continue on. But 60 seconds later, I had my hand flat on that hot burner and instantly screamed, pulled my arm back in pain and burst into tears because it was burned pretty bad. And that is what should happen with a pain response. We have a God-given nervous system that's designed to help us recognize pain. That's why leprosy was so such a dangerous disease because you couldn't tell when something damaging was happening to you. There was no pain to tell you that you were in danger, that something needed to change. And so we have pain as a signal, a signal that something needs attention, a signal that something needs to change in our lives, but it doesn't always work that way. And so today I want to talk to you about pain in the context of abuse and how we often stop seeing pain as what it is. We don't see it as a signal And that's because abuse is a gradual process. It doesn't usually happen overnight. It doesn't begin full strength. It just kind of eases its way in. And abuse can be an actual abusive relationship with a person, someone mistreating you, but it can also be a substance. It can be a sickness. It can be an addiction Um, abuse simply means to use something the way it wasn't intended and anytime that our lives are used in a way they're not intended pain is going to be the result it's meant to signal us that something should change it's meant to signal that we're not being used the way we were created to be 
but because abuse is gradually, we sometimes don't notice. It's like it just begins to warm up. Like when you're adding hot water to the bath, it's just a little bit warmer and a little bit warmer. And you don't really notice how hot it is until you start to feel the pain. The first time you go on a date with an abusive person, it's not necessarily that bad. The first time you have a drink on your way to becoming an alcoholic, it might not, might not have that much effect. The first time you have a panic attack, the first day you wake up not feeling well, the level of pain is quite manageable. It's negligible. But as the abuse is allowed to continue, the pain level goes up. I remember the first date with my husband, my first husband, there was a level of pain on that very first encounter. And it should have been a signal to me. I should have reacted differently than I did. But I told myself he couldn't have meant it. He couldn't have meant what happened. He couldn't have meant to cause me pain. And so I justified it. I overlooked it. I just swept it under the carpet as, as no big deal. One of the things that's important to recognize when it comes to an abuser, again, whether that abuser is a person or whether it's an addiction, doesn't really matter what kind of hijacker we're talking about. It could be fear, disease, poverty. You have to know this hijackers are never satisfied when something begins to seek control of our life we can never give that thing enough to satisfy it you can never have enough drinks to satisfy alcoholism you can never be poor enough to satisfy poverty you can never be sick enough to satisfy disease and you can never be hurt enough to satisfy an abuser but as the abuse escalates from a relationship with a hijacker, so does the pain. And that pain should signal us to take action. It really should. If, there, if we didn't have these gradual layers building and building, we would take action. A normal, healthy person would respond in the face of a hijacker. They wouldn't be passive in it. But because we allow it to build over time, we don't. And usually somewhere along the way, we've believed a lie that causes us to put blame in the wrong place. We are told that we are the problem. We are blamed for what's going on. We're accused for different things. And if we embrace those lies as truth, then we see the wrong source of the pain. We see ourselves as the source of the pain instead of the hijacker, instead of the abuser. When nothing was done to stop the man who molested me when I was a child, I stopped trusting my feelings. It, it was the first step into opening the door to more abuse because our feelings are a signal. They're part of our nervous system. They're part of our pain measurement system that's meant to tell us when something's wrong. And it was like I just pulled the plug on those, those feelings and went, they might go off, but I can't trust anything they say, so I'm just going to ignore them. We can believe that we're the cause of the pain, 
We can believe that we're the problem. We can believe that we're powerless over the situation, over the situation that's causing the pain. But we will come to some sort of conclusion that keeps us either feeling like there's nothing we can do about it or keeps us trying to change the wrong thing. If we're trying to change ourselves in an abusive relationship, we're never going to get free because we aren't the problem. I was in an abusive relationship where I was continually blamed for the issues. And so I went through a long season of trying to fix everything that could possibly be wrong with me. I read every book I could. I was certain every time that I felt pain, I was the problem. And so I tried to identify what provoked anger, what provoked mistreatment, and then I would try not to do that. But it seemed like I could never figure it out. There was no pattern. And I questioned my own motives unceasingly. The doubt was so intense because of the constant accusations that came my way. And of course, the pain never stopped because I wasn't the problem. I felt like I was living a life sentence of pain with no possibility of parole. When we can't change a situation, we do live with the pain and we see it as an emotion instead of a signal. Oh, it's just a feeling. I'm feeling pain today. No different than, oh, I'm feeling happy today or I'm feeling excited today. We just put it in the wrong category and we ignore the message it's trying to send. Often when we live in continual pain, we use complaint as a way to find relief from the situation. We don't think that complaining changes anything, but we believe or we experience the fact that it reduces the intensity of what we're feeling. For those moments that we're complaining, the moments that we're sharing our story with someone, we feel a little bit better. It's not long-term. It's not proactive. It's just like a relief valve, like on a pressure cooker. It just takes the edge off. And I know that when I was caught in this pain cycle, if I would complain to someone else about it and they would begin to suggest solutions to me, I would be surprised because I actually wasn't looking for a solution. I was just looking for relief. I didn't think there could be a solution. And once I got through my own issues and through the pain, through the abuse, and I began to listen to other people tell their story, um, listen to other people vent with their complaints, I would notice the same kind of response coming from them that used to come out of me. I would see their surprise if I would suggest an action that they could take to change the situation. It's easy for me to recognize someone now when they're caught in a pain cycle because they really aren't looking for help when they, when they vent their troubles to you. They are just looking for relief. Here's the turning point that happened for me. In my quest to alleviate the pain that I was living in, I began to attend a self-esteem class that was just put on in the city that I was living in. And as I would go there each week and listen to other women share their stories, it gave me permission to feel my own pain. And I wasn't about to say anything, 
But as I would listen to these other women talk and tell their stories, the tears would run down my face. I couldn't hold it in. I resonated with what they were going through and I found solace at least in knowing that I wasn't alone. These women seemed to be sentenced to lives of pain as well. A few weeks passed and I sat with tears streaming silently down my face and at the end of the meeting a woman came up to me. She was a bit older than me and she looked straight into my eyes and she spoke words that shocked me. She said, Melanie, dogs get treated better than you do. I couldn't believe what she was saying. Really? Tell me more. There was something in my heart that yearned for the truth that I was hearing from her lips. I didn't really know how to grasp onto it. I didn't really know what to do with it. But there was this glimmer of hope that maybe my pursuit of trying to change myself wasn't the real problem. Maybe I wasn't really the issue. Maybe there was something else at play here. And so her words went over and over in my head. What she was saying to me was how you're treated isn't normal. She was voicing the pain to me, the signal of pain. Do something, take your hand off the burner. And it was a defining moment as I realized that I wasn't hurting because of my faults or my failures. I was hurting because of the way that I was being treated. And I understood for the first time that pain was a signal that something needed to change. She didn't stop my pain. She challenged how I was seeing it. She was saying, there is a problem, not you're the problem. It was a contrary message to what I'd been hearing for so long. Freedom had begun. I was freeing myself by changing my mind. I want to ask you, what are you doing with the pain in your life? Do you see it as a signal? Do you do something about it? Do you find answers? Do you make changes? Or do you just live with it the way that I did? Do you just gradually let it grow and grow and become a part of life that you feel powerless over? Do you ignore it? Do you find relief in complaining? Do you, do you vent your troubles to others knowing that the conversation isn't going to really make any difference, but at least you feel better when you're sharing it. I want you to think about the fact that pain is a signal and not an emotion. And then I want you to look at that in context of your life and ask yourself if there's things that need to change. Seeing pain in others is a common thing. And I've often heard people give their perspective at why a person hasn't changed when they're in incredible pain as they haven't hit bottom yet. One of the things I often hear said about people who are in pain who don't take action is they haven't hit bottom yet. And there's this misconception or what I believe is a misconception that if someone can hurt enough then it will force them to change. But I actually don't think the problem is that they're not feeling enough pain. The problem is they don't know pain is a signal. And so I don't agree with that issue of hitting bottom. 
I remember my mom telling my dad one time that he should do something about the way I was being treated. And my dad responded and said, she has to decide for herself. But the truth was, I couldn't decide for myself because I didn't understand what was wrong. I, I needed someone with a clear mind to be able to tell me dogs get treated better than you do. There wasn't an immediate outward change after this moment of truth that I experienced, but I was different on the inside. It was like there was a crack in my belief system and it began to disintegrate a week at a time as I began to call things what they were, not out loud, but in my mind, I began to look at things, evaluate things and see them for what they were. It, it wasn't safe for me to just call it abuse or say, this is what you're doing or what you're doing is wrong. But on the inside, I was recognizing truth and I was changing. I was letting go of these deeply entrenched thoughts that I was the problem. I stopped blaming myself. I stopped believing that there was nothing that I could do. I wrote my book, I Don't Think So, in a way that not only could you hear my story, but you can apply it to your own life working through the application questions. I don't need anyone to hear my story, but I want people who are caught in pain the way that I was to be able to hear a truth, to hear what went on in my life so it can help them find freedom in their lives so that they don't live out a life sentence of being in pain. The boot camp that I have takes it further because it provides a place of focus and encouragement where I can actually guide you right through this change process. If there are areas of pain in your life that have been there a long time and they're not going away, if you have hijackers that you can't satisfy, I encourage you to ask yourself what they might be signaling to you. Taking action was another issue because for me to do what was necessary meant that I had to face some of my beliefs that had held me captive for so long. From the experiences that I shared in episode two of the podcast, I had conclusions that had begun as a thought but as I believed them, they became rules that I lived by. They were strongholds in my life. And those had to come down so that I could take action. I, I had to confront the lies that I'd believed. And it was a no, it was a whole new way of thinking. I want to invite you to join me for my next episode, episode five. It's called Uncovering the Lies as I share with you about going through that process and leaving my marriage, I know that it will bring life to you. If there's a friend that you think could benefit from the podcast and what you've been hearing, I really encourage you to share it. And if you haven't listened to episodes one to three, I really encourage you to go back and do that. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Thank you for listening and spending time with us today on the I Don't Think So podcast. If you receive value from this show, I encourage you to listen to all eight episodes and then share them with your friends. And if you're ready for change, I encourage you to take action now. 
Visit Melanie's website at melaniemitchellapp.com to order her book or to sign up and get instant access to the I Don't Think So Bootcamp so you can begin to change your story today.